Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, the NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting to props and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BLEAV50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast via the Believe Network. This is uh, episode 36 of season four, and uh, we are talking about college football as the potential next NFL. And in some ways, I'm kind of referring to that in, in somewhat of sort of a tongue-in-cheek way. Um, you know, I think the NCAA is obviously big. College football is big. Uh, college basketball is sort of, you know, uh, these are all big sports, right? Women's sports are on the rise as well. Uh, and then you have your Olympic sports as well. But I think that, you know, obviously the NFL is a, you know, multi-billion dollar, you know, operation, with um, you know, with multiple teams, and the, the NCAA could indeed be and will be uh, will continue to grow and will be a huge enterprise. But I'd sort of say it in the tongue in cheek way. But uh, I think sort of the topic today is really more about looking at the college football in terms of implementing um, NFL type of um, revenue uh, processes in terms of introducing things into college football uh, that make it. A more of a profit-making endeavor for college athletes, athletic departments, the NCAA media companies, and everybody else involved. And we'll talk about uh, what some of those tools are and um, and what that might look like. And of course, college football has always been a profit-making endeavor uh, from really the inception of uh, media deals and, and bringing in television dollars uh, to, um, to license copyrighted broadcast, right? So college football is the next next NFL is really looking at the growth uh, and or the diminishing role of college athletes, athletic departments, the NCAA, media companies uh, in a environment where you're looking at name, image, and likeness opportunities, potential for unionization, and and the potential for paying players. Uh, and of course, when I say diminishing role, I'm really more referring to the NCAA because at this point. Uh, it seems more and more that college football playoff, college football in general, uh, not so much basketball at this point, uh, but they're really moving in a direction of being more independent. And so we'll see how that um, we'll see how that plays out. And by the way, uh, this podcast is really on the heels of um, some really important news that is uh, that has come out. 
um, you know, namely that Wisconsin has recently named uh, Russell Wilson as a mentor to athletes as part of an NIL collective uh, for the University of Wisconsin. Obviously, Russell Wilson uh, being a uh, former uh, star quarterback there. Uh, so again, this idea of sort of using NIL, using um, institutions, academic institutions, athletic, uh, you know, departments, uh, and professional athletes to promote uh, college product and college athletes. Um, the growth of uh, the uh, not only esports and gaming uh, opportunities, but also the growth of uh, trading cards and the eventual sort of growth of NCAA sports or college sports, basketball, football, uh, being pushed into the gaming industry and also the trading card industry, potentially where there's uh, money to be made. Uh, in that regard. So again, uh, there is just this huge sort of massive growth uh, of opportunities. Um, you know, media deals continue to sort of break records. And of course, it was this morning, uh, uh, really this week that I was reading about the Forbes evaluations or valuations, I should say, on uh, sports teams. You know, every year they put out a list of um, sort of the most um uh, you know, valuations in terms of the highest valuations for sports teams. And, you know, you've got these sports teams, but, you know, particularly the Dallas Cowboys worth, you know, um, I think it was $8 billion. You have the New England, New England Patriots, uh, just a, a slight tab below that. And of course, I think uh, 30 of the 32 NFL franchises were all listed in this sort of top Forbes, um, you know, valuations. And eventually, Maybe potentially, uh, and this may uh, be a crazy idea, but those valuations could be put on a college football team, uh, particularly if they're independent of the NCAA, uh, and particularly if these are private entities where investment dollars can be put in towards it. It may seem like a crazy idea today, but but I think eventually what you're going to see with realignment in college football and you know UCLA and USC going to the Big Ten, and the potential to add you know a few more teams to eventually get to the Big Twenty, and what the SEC is doing with their I think eighteen teams, uh, with Texas and Oklahoma coming over. I think it's eighteen. I might be wrong, uh, but uh, there again is a lot of movement uh, in this, and of course you could see potentially. Uh, I've had a couple Freudian uh, slips, if you will, when I'm talking about um, you know uh, college football, and I refer to uh, college teams and, you know, academic and athletic institutions uh, as teams. And I just did it right there too, as well. And in, in, in talking to you now uh, it's, there's this sort of um, tendency now to, to look maybe more at college football and sort of a profit-making endeavor. And I think that raises a lot of questions. I think that raises questions about what is amateurism. I think it raises questions about where to go from here uh, in terms of, process and regulation and profitability. Um, and I think it raises questions about the fan base in terms of, will fans still love college football uh, when college football and or basketball resembles more of an NFL style product? I think that for the most part, fans who, who fo follow college football probably call it, uh, probably follow professional football. Um, and there's obviously the purist out there who say they love college football. They don't follow pro football. Maybe there's the fan out there or fans that uh, follow uh, the NFL, but don't follow college football. 
But I think for the most part, when I, when I sort of talk to the average sort of college football fan or sports fan in general, they generally will have a favorite football team or teams and they'll have, you know, their favorite college football team and or teams, right. You know, people have, you know, people are interesting, right. In the sense that, um, uh, they don't always make sense. We don't always make sense as people, right? And so I think that you on one hand could, you know, claim territory to the San Francisco 49ers because you loved a certain player, right? But then you, you know, could, um, you know, not really have an NFL team because, um, you know, you grew up in Los Angeles and at the time there was no NFL teams. Um, you know, you could have gone to college at a certain place but grew up in another city. And so you have maybe even divided interest, right? You know, maybe you went to undergrad at one institution and went at, you know, graduate school at a competing institution. It all just depends. But this is all to say that college football is changing and there's a lot um, to be spoken about this. Uh, and to give a little context to this, you know, when a uh, reporter was asked, uh, reporter asked Tennessee Titans head coach Mike Vrabel back in 2018, uh, who's a, a three-time Super Bowl champion with the New England Patriots. He was asked why the National Football League, the NFL, does not have a minor league system. And Vrabel quickly responded and said, quote, the NFL has the greatest farm system in the world. We pay our farm system coaches $10 million to develop players. Nick Saban is our farm system. Urban Meyer is our farm system. So those are the types of players they're developing. Those are the types of players that they are playing in high school. That's where the game is at, end quote. So Coach Vrabel was really saying uh, what many others were unwilling to say uh, in 2018. I think now it's sort of an understood fact uh, that Division I college football is indeed the minor league of the NFL. It's what they draft out of. There's really no alternative league. Uh, there is free agents, but you're not going to you know, be in the top you know, top part of the draft, if at all, you'll probably be signed as a free agent. You know, so again, um, college football, particularly NCAA football at this point, uh, is um, uh, is the minor league of the NFL. I don't think what pe I don't think people anticipated though that uh, a short four years later, here now in 2022, that um, you know, post this sort of Vrabel press conference, which received a lot of headlines at the time that college athletes would be paid, getting paid for off the field work for name, image, and likeness. I just don't think people anticipated that. I think California's moved to uh, pass the uh, Fair Pay to Play Act and then the domino effect that that had in terms of forcing the NCAA to remove its rule on making money. And then of course, other states implementing rules and then doing it at an earlier date that July 1st, 2021 date and then California coming back and moving up its date so there's this domino effect that has changed really the industry, but it's not just stop there. Um, University of Michigan head coach call, um, uh, Jim Harbaugh was recently uh, quoted on two different occasions uh, in public stating that he supported college athletes getting a cut of university television and streaming dollars. Um, and particularly from the college football playoff uh, when it expands to 12 teams in 2026 and it's currently four. And I can't understate or overstate uh, really the importance of the college football playoff uh, and, its, and its expansion to 12 teams. This is going to be massive. Uh, the college football playoff currently has four teams as big as it is. 12 teams would provide you know, essentially a full-on playoff. 
Um, now, of course, bear in mind when you're talking about if 12 teams in, you know, the NFL playoffs or Major League Baseball made it to the NFL, that's nearly half of the teams, at least for Major League Baseball, uh, with 30 teams. 12 teams out of hundreds of Division I schools, but generally you're going to have a top 25, right? And it's those top 25 that really get the invites to the bowl games, uh, particularly the college football playoffs. So really, um, this is going to be huge. Uh, and provide some for some multiple sort of games and some really interesting environments. And depending on where they play the games at, that could be interesting with all the overseas development um, and with no college football in existence at all overseas, uh, just doesn't exist really outside of the United States. Uh, college uh, sports in general don't exist at the United States. Potential room for growth there, I, I think. Uh, and to provide some context and perspective to this, the Big 12's recent television deal is going to pay uh, about $1 billion annually or about $70 million per school. And there's escalators in that contract. So if more schools get added to the Big Ten, uh, that money will go up. So we're looking at potentially to $80 to $90 million if you add uh, two to four more teams. So interesting to consider that. And by the way, when college football playoff expands to, to 12 teams, they're looking at potentially $2.2 billion annually after that expansion. So there is potential that these college football teams would make more money in the college football playoff if they made the college football playoff, obviously, and depending on what the revenue splits are, than they would in the entire season uh, from the underlying deal with their conferences. Now, of course, again, these monies are split between the schools and the athletic departments, right? Uh, and that's tax dollars to be paid and everything else. But uh, to give this a little more perspective, UCLA was recently quoted in Los Angeles Times as having $62.5 million in deficit um, from the 2021 season. So that's 70 million that they would get from uh, the Big Ten deal would essentially would cover that and some. And again, that that money will likely go up if the Big Ten adds more teams and it's likely that that's going to happen. And there's been talks about Oregon and Washington and Stanford, uh, maybe Cal joining. Uh, there's been talks about Notre Dame. I think um, any one of those uh, schools would make a lot of sense. So we'll sort of see how that plays out. Uh, and of course, UCLA's move to the Big Ten also saved some Olympic sports. This was reported in uh, um, the uh, front office sports article uh, saying that UCLA's move is really uh, allowed for this money to come in. Uh, to save those Olympic sports, which, which are not money makers, and it's probably also helped with Title IX, which is the the um, federal legislation that really uh, protects um, uh, women's sports uh, when it comes to essentially um, having athletes being treated equally when it comes to resources and uh, opportunities. Doesn't mean that the sports have to be equal. It just means that they have to be treated equally. Uh, and provided uh, equal opportunities. And it also doesn't mean that it has to be equal amount of sports either. It's just that uh, I think, again, this move from UCLA is going to help with that. And then it will help USC as well. And by the way, UCLA's debt over the last three years, $102.8 uh, million. I was going to say billion, but that's a lot. Uh, so is a million, but uh, $102.8 uh, million dollars debt over the last three years. So clearly UCLA is going to benefit from this. And frankly, they need it. And to provide a little more context to this as well, uh, UCLA's debt, by the way, um, 
is the result of uh, COVID-19 restrictions. There was no fans at games during 2020-2021. It's also a result of the fact that UCLA does not own the Poly Pavilion where they play basketball um, and do other events. It's actually owned by the Regents of the University of California. And then obviously UCLA is a public school. Uh, And the Rose Bowl, where the UCLA Bruins have played football since 1982, uh, is um, owned by the city of Pasadena. So there is some revenue splits, but they're limited. And frankly, like so many other public institutions, UCLA competes with private schools uh, while being subject to stricter stricter financial rules uh, from the state government. I I, I sort of had this idea that uh, the equivalent of UCLA having to compete with private schools uh, in this environment financially uh, is similar to, let's say, asking the DMV to run a Tesla, uh, a Tesla car dealership in regards to the restraints, um, it, you know, in terms of a government entity versus a private entity, it's, it's, it's very different. Now, that being said, I think college football is pretty equal when it comes to talent. Uh, you have equal amounts of talent that go to public schools and private schools. And I think as, as college football and potentially basketball uh, move out of um uh, the regulation of the NCAA, if that occurs, um, I think that's only going to um, help uh, private schools, particularly when it comes to sports. And of course, with women's sports continuing to grow and not including March Madness money uh, and the College uh, World Series money and the potential growth of the College World Series and college baseball in general, uh, based on the fact that Major League Baseball has reduced um, its uh, draft rounds from 40 to 20 and reduced minor league um, teams, affiliated affiliated minor league teams, there's going to be a host of players that go to college as opposed to going uh, and getting drafted and being uh, in professional baseball earlier in their careers, which frankly probably helps baseball. Um, you know, I think uh, as you go through college, uh, you know, with maturity levels and everything else, uh, not that every player is the same, but I think I don't think college is going to hurt, uh, and, and frankly, will I think help the game there. So there's a lot of revenue coming in, but the point being is that um, the NCAA media dollars, the apparel deals, and endowments are really the lifeblood of college and athletic departments. And so when you add in more money from the college football playoff, you add in money for NIL for the players, and you're talking about splitting revenues with players. Um, there's just a a sort of wealth of opportunity, but it also raises some serious questions. Uh, Namely, um, what happens if there's some sort of unionization? Uh, There's been uh, some talk about this. You know, Major League Baseball Players Association recently, which was unheard of, uh, you know, in the past, um, announced that it supported minor league baseball players unionizing. Now that may seem, you know, uh, gratuitous because it's one player's union talking to a potential other player's union that they would fall under essentially, or it might be a separate entity or maybe a division of an MLBPA. Um, but I think it really, it raises questions of the changing times. Uh, will there be employment contracts for college athletes? You know, what are the repercussions? Um, I think the certainty here is, is that college football and basketball are changing um, and college sports in general are changing. And I think the proverbial Prendor's box has been opened uh, and we'll see uh, how this plays out. I mean, is the college football model sustainable? I don't know. Um, 
I think it's sustainable from a profitability standpoint. I think things will continue to grow. Sponsorships will come in. But I think anytime you're talking about unionization and employment, um, it really changes the rules um, and changes issues of uh, potentially for antitrust, right? So, you know, again, when you open up sort of, um, you know, uh, the pocketbook, so to speak, you open up the revenue streams, you're also being subjected to additional rules and regulations. So, um, you know, there is sort of uh, some of those concerns, but we'll sort of see how this plays out. Um, you know, I, I think this is a fascinating time to uh, be in sports and entertainment. And I think that, um, you know, uh, we sort of have um, potential for opportunities. Um, you know, I think from a, from a com competition standpoint, college football is plays played on Saturdays, you know, football generally played on, you know, NFL generally played on Sundays and then Mondays and Thursdays. Um, there's a couple Saturday games in there, but that's mostly, I think that's mostly around like the holidays, like Thanksgiving and Christmas. But, um, you know, would the NFL ever consider an official partnership with college football uh, under some new entity that was created? Maybe, you know, I, I think we'll sort of see how this plays out, but uh, again, a fascinating time. And, you know, thank you again for listening in. Uh, this show has been brought to you by uh, bet online. Uh, I'm your host, Jeremy Evans. This is Believe in Sports Law. Thank you again for making us the number one sports law podcast in the world. We'll look forward to being back with you uh, next week. Thank you so much. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel and I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.